done, my message will be finished in 30 minutes. And then we'll sing to close and you'll be on with your day. But I want you to think about a few things, especially if you're visiting. I want you to think about, is there any real historical evidence to this? Is this some blind leap of faith that these Christians just believe in this resurrected Jesus? Is there something there? And I want you to consider that because that's how we really preach. We, we preach and teach apologetically at the church, but really on Christmas and Easter, you really want to sharpen that focus. So the title of the message is this. Check this out. Looking in to the empty tomb. And that's what we invite you to do. That's what everyone is invited to do. Look in to the empty tomb. Was it empty? Why was it empty? What happened? And it's legit for us to ask questions and to come up with some answers to it. And I think we're going to see that today in this passage. But I'm reminded of this story, this town out west, that um, almost everyone in the town goes to Easter sunrise service. So they all leave their houses while it's still dark. And there's always this rash of burglaries in that town on Easter morning. So they all were trying to come up with plans to protect their houses more, and the pastor thought he had a really good plan. Well, sure enough, a burglar breaks into the pastor's house, doesn't know it's a pastor's house, and he's in there looking around in the dark with his flashlight, and all of a sudden he hears, Jesus is watching. So he's startled. He stops in his tracks, says, no, what in the world? Thought he heard something, but maybe he was making it up in his mind, because he knew it was Easter Sunday. So he's looking around again for valuables, and he hears Jesus is watching. So he flashes the light and he sees this parrot. He says, who do you think you are? He says, I'm Moses. And the burglar says, what kind of dumb people name their parrot Moses? The same dumb people that name their Rottweiler Jesus. And Jesus is watching you. Jesus is watching you. Yes? Yes. John 20, 1 through 9. Hear now the word of God. Early on the first day of the week, while it was still dark, Mary Magdalene went to the tomb and saw that the stone had been removed from the entrance. So she came running to Simon Peter and the other disciple, the one Jesus loved and said, they have taken the Lord out of the tomb and we don't know where they have put him. So Peter and the other disciples started for the tomb. Both were running, but the other disciple outran Peter and reached the tomb first. He bent over and looked in at the strips of linen lying there, but did not go in. Then Simon Peter, who was behind him, arrived and went into the tomb. He saw the strips of linen lying there as well as the burial cloth that had been around Jesus' head. The cloth was folded up by itself, separate from the linen. Finally, the other disciple, who had reached the tomb first, also went inside. He saw and believed. They still did not understand from Scripture that Jesus had to rise from the dead. And may God add his rich blessing to his inspired and errant and fallible word. Pray with me, please. Father, it's no accident we're here this morning. Easter morning little over 2,000 years ago, on that first Easter Sunday, when you came out of that grave alive. Father, we'd ask that you would give us ears to hear and minds to understand and hearts that beat for nothing smaller than the Lord Jesus Christ. We absolutely ask that this be a word of salvation for the unsaved. Whether here or whether by way of the internet, we know many watch by way of the internet. 
Give the gift of repentance and faith. Raise them from death to life. Lord, also make it a word of comfort for hearts that are broken and a word of rest for the tired, weary, and heavy laden. All things to all people. So come, now fount of every blessing. Unclutter our minds and unburden our hearts that we might see Jesus and him only. And it's in Jesus' name we pray and all God's people said. Okay, very quickly, here we go. Three headings. Very simple. We try to give three things that you can kind of hang on to and remember a couple things when you walk out. Three headings. Number one, under looking in to the tomb. Counterintuitive news. That's number one. What is counterintuitive news? We'll see it in the passage. Number two, counterfeit news. And then finally, number three, countercultural news. So before we do, I want to give you a quote. Just a little background on the quote first. Some of you may be familiar with the name C.S. Lewis. And those of you who are familiar, you may know the story. Some may not. And if you're an unbeliever or a skeptic and you don't know anything about C.S. Lewis, just a couple points of interest. You may know some of his work, The Chronicles of Narnia, The Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe, a variety of different books that were written, Mere Christianity, The Problem of Pain. Oxford scholar, truly scholarship, the deepest level. But before he did all of that stuff for Jesus, he was an atheist, a staunch atheist, at Oxford, scholar. He had a scholar friend on staff with him at Oxford. His friend's name was T.D. Weldon. And Weldon came to him one night and he said, C.S., we, Clive, we need to talk. He said, I'm beginning to believe the historical authenticity of the Gospels. They appear to me to be surprisingly sound. Well, that disturbed Lewis. Because Lewis was an expert in ancient documents and languages, besides his scholarship in so many other areas. And he was convinced and had never really looked into it, the Bible was a story of myths and legends. He'd never read it, never worked through it, but was convinced by all that he had heard. So this guy startled him and he said, I need, I, I'm troubled. This guy was a militant atheist. Lewis was just an atheist. This guy was militant. And something happened to him. Lewis said, I, I've got to look. Well, he did. He looked in to the empty tomb. Listen to these words. Now, as a literary historian, I am perfectly convinced that whatever else the Gospels are, they are not legends. I have read a great deal of legends and myth and am quite clear that they are not the same sort of thing. They are not artistic enough to be legends. From an imaginative point of view, they are clumsy. They don't work. Most of the life of Jesus is totally unknown to us. And no people building up a legend would allow that to be so. The Gospels appear to be simply eyewitness accounts of historical events, primarily by Jews who were clearly unfamiliar with the great myths of the pagan world around them. I was by now too experienced in literary criticism to regard the Gospels as myth. They had not the same mythological taste. And soon the hound of heaven captured his heart. 
And C.S. Lewis was a believer and did all of those works that I mentioned. But here's what I want you to get before we move on. If you're an unbeliever, you just stopped in today at Easter and somebody invited you. They dragged you. you got to come. Or somebody's been here and they've heard, you got to come hear this guy. He's really messed up. Really mad. you got to hear him. You're not going to believe this guy. Stuff he says. This is not a blind leap of faith. And I'm not asking anyone to take it by faith. Investigate it. Most people that I speak to are not scholars. Scholars read. But most who are just unbelieving skeptics and bloggers, they haven't read any of it. And they'll make claims of this. I say, have you ever read it? You ever worked through it? Do you know the difference between eyewitness accounting and, and myths and legends? Do you know? Do you ever know some of the great atheists who have been converted by looking into it? Some great names. Have you looked into it? That's what we should all do. And you're going to see in the passage those who looked into it. Look into the empty tomb. Is there anything there that's true? Does it make sense? Here's one thing that I want to say that, to make it clear. No one saw Jesus rise from the dead. It was only Jesus in the tomb. But something happened to those people because they saw him after. So inasmuch as people say, well, you, you're not telling me that somebody actually saw him rise from the tomb. No, no, no. Nobody saw him. Nobody else was in the tomb. But they saw the after effects of a risen Christ. And that's what I want you to consider today. Okay? Let's take a look. We are going to, I promise, head out into some deep waters and let our nets down for a catch. Number one, what is counterintuitive news? Big word, very simple meaning. It's just against common sense. It kind of goes against the grain. That, 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 that doesn't make sense to me. Right? So that's counterintuitive. You have an intuition and you, eh, let's take a look. John 21 to 3. On the first day of the week, Mary Magdalene, right there we have a problem. And we'll talk about it in a moment, and we'll tell you why. Mary Magdalene went to the tomb. She saw the stone was removed from the entrance. So she came running to Simon, Peter, and John, and she said, listen to this, don't miss this. They have taken the Lord out of the tomb, and we don't know where they have put him. Okay, what did she assume when she saw that the stone was rolled away and the tomb was empty? That Jesus rose from the dead and walked out of the grave? No. No, she, she, that, would be, that's, that's, that doesn't make any sense to me. Why? What did the Jews believe? Did they believe in a resurrection? Sadducees didn't, but most of them did. They believed in a resurrection where? At the end of the age. That all those who were faithful to God would be raised from death to life. Not in the middle of history. Nobody was raised in the middle of history. So it it didn't make sense. So she said they, they stole him. But now what happens? I'm asking you to look in. Ready? So Peter and John started for the tomb. They took off. It didn't make sense, but they went. You get a letter in the mail from a law firm. And you're like, what do they want now? Attorneys. Open it. Oh, I've got a relative where? Who's left me $2 million in... That doesn't make sense. Would you crumble that up and throw it away? No, you would not. You would not. You'd do just what I did. I don't believe it. 915-777. I don't believe it. It's bogus, but I'm making a call. I want to know about Aunt Tilly. I don't know her. I don't have no idea, but I want to find out what's go- why. You're going to look into it. It don't make any sense. You don't believe that, but I'm not going to just let this thing go away. I'm going to look in. Look into the tomb. There's something going on here. It, it deserves... 
a look. Moving in the passage to 11 to 18. A couple things here that are important. Ready? Mary, we're back to this Mary again. Peter, Peter and John come. They look. Remember in the passage? They look in. They leave. Mary's still there. She's the first to see the tomb empty. Woman. Wait, wait till I show you this. But she stays there. Now, watch. Now she looks in. And saw two angels seated where Jesus... It, it seems to suggest that the other disciples, they didn't see that. They saw the linen. But now there's two angels that are there just for Mary. Oh, don't miss this, please. Where Jesus' body had been, one at the head and the other at the foot. Uh-oh. If you're a student of the Bible, you know exactly what just happened. You just went all the way back to the Old Testament, didn't you? Yes, you did. You went back to the history of the Jewish nation, didn't you? Yes, you did. And what did, where, where did you go? You went back into the t- tabernacle, didn't you? Yes, you did. And what's in the tabernacle? We have that final area, that back area called the Holy of Holies. And what's in the Holy of Holies? The Ark of the Covenant. And how was the Ark of the Covenant in Exodus 25? How was it designed? With the two cherubim and the wings spread out that covered, one, one at the head, one at the foot, that covered the Ark of the Covenant. What does Mary see now in the tomb? A living Ark of the Covenant with two live cherubim, one at the head, one at the foot. But there's more. What happens? What happens at the Ark of the Covenant? It's God's presence. When? One day of the year when the high priest would go behind the veil into the Holy of Holies, burn incense, and sprinkle the blood of the sacrificial lamb on the cover of the ark for his sins and the sins of the people of God. What does Mary now see? In the living ark, the blood that had been sprinkled on the platform from the true lamb of God. The sacrifice that all of the Old Testament sacrifices pointed to. The final sacrifice. The one who would sacrifice himself once for all. As John the Baptist says, Behold the Lamb of God who comes to take away the sins of the world. She saw what every high priest dreamed to see for 1,500 years. And who sees it first? Not Peter. Not James. Not John. Mary. Stay with me. It gets even better. So now, because I say every week, one word from one God to one people. So when we minister to our Jewish friends, that Old Testament, that is God's word. The new is concealed in the old and the old is revealed in the new. This is one word. God's unfolding plan of redemption from beginning to end. This is not some new faith that popped up 2,000 years ago. It's the, it's the fulfillment of everything that had happened for 1,500 years in Israel. So now, stay with me. Ready for this? She turned. Well, they, 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 they asked, woman, why are you crying? They know why. They're speaking to the heart. They have taken my Lord away, she said. She turned and she saw Jesus. But she didn't recognize him. He kept himself concealed. Jesus said, woman, why are you crying? He repeats the question of the angels. 
Why? He's speaking to her heart. He knows why she's crying. He's ministering to her. Why are you crying? Thinking he was the gardener. Now, that takes us back to the Garden of Eden, but we don't have time to unpack that today. We've done it before another day. But he, the gardener in the Garden of Eden, it's, it's, all of it is tied together. She thinks he's the gardener, and she says, Sir, if you have carried him away, tell me where you have put him, and I will get him. Do you see that her love knows no bounds? She thinks she can go get him. I lo- just tell me where you put him, and I'm going to go get him. I'll pick him up and carry him back. Where did you lay him? She's not thinking resurrection. Somebody took the body. Doesn't make any sense. It's counterintuitive. None of this makes sense. Jesus said to her, Mary. Oh, she cried out. Why? She heard the Lord who had spoken to her so many times. Mary was the one from Magdalene, a fishing town of whom seven demons were driven out by Jesus. Seven demons. She knew his voice. What does the scripture say? They hear my voice and they know it's me. And I know them by name. Mary. You ever heard the Lord call you? He calls you by name continually. Mary. Mary knows. And she says in Aramaic, Rabboni. Teacher, Jesus said, do not hold on to me, for I have not returned yet to my father. Go tell the brothers and tell them I am returning to my father and to your father, to my God and to your God. Mary Magdalene went to the disciples with the news. I have seen the Lord. And she told them that he had said these things to her. Now, where, where does it get even more counterintuitive if you're thinking the Gospels are stories that were made up? And many think that. These are just stories. They don't make sense. So not scholarship, just regular people. They're stories. Okay, so stay with me. Who was the first to see the empty tomb? Mary Magdalene. Who was the first to see the risen Jesus? Mary Magdalene. You say, well, what's the big deal? It's a huge, not today, but back then it was a huge deal. Women were second-class citizens. I'm going to give you three quotes, and I want you to remember as I'm reading them, these aren't my words, so don't text me later. And don't come secret. Wait till you see this. I want you to see how you were viewed in the ancient world. Ready? Jewish Roman historian Josephus, first century. Let not the testimony of women be admitted because of the levity and boldness of their sex. Oh, that's nothing. We're going to go deep now in a moment. They couldn't give testimony in the court of law. They, 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 they held no status, no, no, nothing. Strabo, first century philosopher, historian, he says women are immune to reason. Are you? I, I don't think so. In dealing... Oh, don't miss this. In dealing with a crowd of women or with any promiscuous mob, a philosopher cannot influence them by reason or exhort them to reverence piety and faith. Nay, there is need of religious fear also, and this cannot be aroused without myths and marvels. 
Oh, but we're not done. We're going to descend another level. Ready, ladies? Celsus, second century philosopher, don't Greek, don't miss this. He says, this is the Achilles heel. He writes the first intellectual attack, first intellectual, real intellectual attack on Christianity. And he says, this is the number one attack. And this is the only attack that really needs to be made. They have a woman testifying to an empty tomb and a risen Jesus. Listen to what he says. But who, who saw this? A hysterical female. You'd say it differently, like maybe it's a time of month. I don't know what it is. It's, they're hysterical. I have three in my house. No, they're, they get hysterical. They do. I don't know what that is. And perhaps some others who were deluded by the same sorcery, wanting to impress others by telling this fantastic tale. How do you know right from the beginning that this can't be made up? Who would put him in the story? Who wrote the stories? Four men. They wrote the Gospels. Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. All four men. You can only imagine these four men who are writing it, and they get to this part, and they go... We can't put the woman in this. Just tell him Peter saw it first. No, you can't do that. Why? It ain't true. Okay, but if we put the truth in, it's going to make us look really dumb. No one's going to believe it. It doesn't matter. It's true. The women saw the tomb first. The women saw him raised first. We're stuck. So they wrote it. No myth. No legend. No story. An eyewitness account that these four men were stuck putting in to Scripture. Think about that. Look in to the empty tomb. Women. Boy, women. I don't know. Number two. Counterfeit news. You ever heard of that? You know what counterfeit news is, right? It's everywhere, right? There's all sorts of counterfeit stuff. Counterfeit money and counterfeit games and counterfeit videos. And, but counterfeit news. Did you know there was counterfeit news back then? I'm going to show it to you right in Scripture. Ready? Matthew, we've gone from counterintuitive. None of that made sense. They're not looking for a resurrection. Tomb's empty. Then, then the woman sees him. And, uh, that doesn't make sense. But now we're going to look at counterfeit news. Ready? Matthew 28, 11 to 15. There's this violent earthquake. And the stone is rolled away. I don't, I'm not going to give you all the passages. The tomb is protected by Roman soldiers because the Pharisees and the religious leaders said he said he was going to come out three days later. And we don't want this to happen. The second thing will be worse than the first. Put some guards there. Protect the tomb. So they do. Now the earthquake, they get knocked down and, and, and Jesus comes out. So some of the guards went into the city and they reported to the chief priests everything that had happened. Ready for this? The chief priests and the elders devised a plan and gave the soldiers a large sum of money. Say, his disciples came during the night and stole him away while we were asleep. Pause there. Does anything in that sentence bother you? How do you know what happens when you're sleeping? You don't know what happens. 
But that's, that's the story. Tell them while you were sleeping, the disciples came. Would you have a dream? So none of it makes sense, but it's a story that's being advanced. So what have the Pharisees confirmed, first of all? The tomb is? Don't miss these things, please. So they've already confirmed an empty tomb. And they know the body wasn't stolen. They got to say something. Counterfeit news. If this report gets to the governor, we'll keep you out of trouble. What was the trouble? If you lost a prisoner, or you, you never lose a dead person. But if, if you failed in your duty, what happened to you? You were dead. There was, there was no second chance. You mess up, you're put to death. Do your job. Can't do your job, you're dead. So they're not going to tell a story. But they took the money and the religious leader said, we'll make sure you don't get in trouble. Okay. We're in. But notice what happens. Watch. This story has been widely circulated among Jews to this very day. What very day? The day that Matthew was writing. When's Matthew writing? Just approximate. A.D. 30, Jesus is crucified, resurrected, right, and comes out of the grave. So we're looking somewhere maybe 70, 80, right? we got Paul at 50. we got Mark. We've got, we've got Luke, Matthew. So say 30, 40 years. The story is still circulating 30, 40, 50 years later. John's the last gospel writer, A.D. 90, 95, Isle of Patmos, right? So 30, 40, 50 years, the circle is, the story is still going around in circles. Disciples stole a body. Ever heard of counterfeit news? It didn't start in Jerusalem. You know where it started? All the way back in the beginning of time. Ready? In the garden. Go with me to the Garden of Eden. God says to Adam and Eve, on the day that you eat this, Genesis chapter 2, 2.18, on the day that you eat this, you will surely die. God made it clear. Obey me and live. Disobey and die. So now we have the second voice of Revelation speaking. Listen to what's being said. Listen to the counterfeit news. You ready? The serpent says to Eve, you will not surely die. Absolutely counterfeit to what God has said. You, you won't die. The serpent said to the woman, for God knows that when you eat this, your eyes will be opened and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. What? God knows that you'll, you'll be like him. So he promises them life. What do they get when they eat? Death. Counterfeit news isn't new. It's everywhere. How do you know what to trust? So we see it in Scripture. They told a story right from the beginning. Tell them the disciples stole it. Satan's been telling lies from the beginning. Satan is the what? The liar. The accuser. Happens all the time. So I'm asking you to do what? The serpent's sinful spin. Don't, don't, let, that, don't let that run, run around your head. Look in to the empty tomb. Investigate it. Take a look. Give you a Wall Street, no, Washington Post headline. Take a look at this. I think it was 2018, 2017. Fake news. Take a look at this. Fake news spreads, listen to this, farther, faster, and deeper than truth. Would you agree with that? Yes, you know this is true, right? So, so listen, and I say this from the pulpit. Don't believe what I say. Don't believe anything I say. Go look. Go look. Look in the book. Look in history. You look. You decide. We have to do that today. The scriptures say we need to be Berean-like. They'd hear the scripture, they'd hear the preaching, then they would go look. Does it, does it square with scripture? Is what I'm saying square with scripture? And then look at the historical evidence. Okay, good. 
Number three, countercultural, and then we close. This is, this is just as deep as the first two, but it's so easy to understand. How is it countercultural? Well, there's this one guy that no skeptic has any kind of a response to. You heard of Saul of Tarsus? If you're a visitor and you've, you've never heard of him, there was this guy who really hated the church. He hated Jesus. He hated because he was a staunch religious fanatic for Judaism. He was a Pharisee of Pharisees, circumcised on the eighth day, and he hated Christians. And he was putting them to death and putting them in jail. So he had no love for Jesus. Okay, you ready? That's why this is so countercultural. None of this makes any sense. Ready? And nowhere, nowhere in recorded history has any scholar come up with any explanation that makes any sense for this. Nowhere. No one has an explanation for this guy. Ready? Acts 9, 1 and 5, Saul was his name, Saul of Tarsus, was breathing out murderous threats against the Lord's disciples. He even stood and hold the coat, held the coats of those who stoned Stephen. So this guy's a murderer. He went to the high priest and he asked for letters to the synagogues in Damascus. So that when he got there, anyone who belonged to the way, that's to Jesus. Jesus said, I'm the, John 14, 6, I'm the way, the truth, and the life. That's what that means. I'm part of the way. Whether men or women, he might take them as prisoner to Jerusalem. He's taken even women. You, back in those days, you didn't really round up women. But he's taken them all. And he's thrown them all in jail. He fell. He fell. Now, some, nearing Damascus, a light flashed from heaven. Something happens. He falls to the ground and he hears a voice. Saul, Saul, why do you persecute me? What is that? So he says, who are you, Lord? Saul asks. He says, I'm Jesus, whom you are persecuting. Pause for that in a moment. Was he persecuting Jesus? No. Jesus was in heaven. Jesus was resurrected. Who was he persecuting? Christians. So what does that tell you? When you're being persecuted, who else is being persecuted? Jesus. Don't shrink back from persecution. Jesus is right there with you. Saul, why do you persecute me? Because when you mess with my people, you're messing with me. What a powerful advocate we have in Christ. But now moving further into that passage, watch what happens to this guy. And no one can explain it. And if you can come up with one, send me a text. Come see me. Saul began to preach in the synagogues that Jesus is the Son of God. That doesn't make any sense. And it goes against the entire culture, the only thing he knew. He knew the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. He came through the line of it. He was the seed. This guy was the man. He was at the, the, the top of his profession. And now he's preaching Jesus. But pause. When is he preaching Jesus in the synagogues? How countercultural is it really? When did the Jews gather for worship? On the last day of the week. So they'd go to synagogue on Saturday. Yes? That was the last day of the week. When's Paul preaching now in the synagogues? Sunday. First day of the week. Why? That's the day that Jesus rose from the grave. The first day of the week is the resurrection day. So now Paul is so countercultural. He's not only preaching a, just a crazy message that his brothers don't understand and they don't like but now he's preaching it on a totally different day none of that makes any sense how do you explain that because here's a religion that is so steeped in tradition you're telling me 1500 years of saturday sabbath worship you change that overnight to sunday no you don't unless something supernatural happens that now all of these jews and yes, more Gentiles are coming to faith at that time, but all of these Jews, the, all the apostles were, were Jewish, most of them, and certainly the early converts, now they're worshiping on Sunday. Why? Something happened. So you have to keep that in mind. Ready? All were astonished, saying, isn't 
this the guy who raised havoc in Jerusalem among the believers? And hasn't he come here to take them as prisoners to the chief priest? The Christians didn't believe it. They were afraid of Saul. They didn't believe he was converted. Saul grew more powerful and he baffled the Jews. The Jews said, I, this guy's not a, he's not a blogger or a chat room guy in Jerusalem. He's a scholar. He was trained by probably one of the greatest rabbis in, in the history of Judaism, Gamaliel. He trained under him. He was a scholar and he's been transformed. It doesn't make sense. It's counterintuitive. It's countercultural. But something happened to this guy. That you have to come, somebody's got to come up with an explanation that makes sense. So he grows more powerful. He baffles the Jews in Damascus by proving, he proves that Jesus is the Messiah. How do we close? I'm going to give you three quick little bullet points and just hit them. Christ appearances. How, how do you deal with that? They say there's at least a dozen appearances and one time to 500 people. Listen to what Paul does. Saul. This is, this, is, this is the guy who was the Pharisee of Pharisees. He writes in 1 Corinthians 15, which is the earliest document on the resurrection, by the way. The earliest document. He gets it almost at the, the meet When he gets converted probably two years after the resurrection, he probably gets that information right then. So they're preaching the resurrection right from the beginning. 1 Corinthians 15. What does he write in there? That Jesus appeared to so-and-so and so-and-so and to 500. And what does he say after that? And many of them are still alive. What was he saying to his reader? Go find them. Go ask them. 500 at once. To clear up the hallucination thing, well, maybe they were all hallucinating. Sure, but they all don't have the same hallucination. Medical science has proven that. You have your own hallucination based on whatever's going on in your mind and your heart. We don't hallucinate in groups. Well, we don't. Even if you're all taking the same stuff, you still have your own hallucination. I'm so, no, I didn't. Shh. That was the microphone. I don't know what you do. You don't hallucinate in groups. 500. Go check them out. Why? They're still alive. He's writing only 20. 20 years after the fact, they're still alive. Go next. Not only the appearances, how do you explain the, the growth of the church? How do you explain that? You, ha you, ha you have to have explanations for stuff that happened in history. It is historical that the Christian church exploded in growth. How? The only explanation that I can come up with is that a dead man got out of a grave and walked. And they saw it. And they knew it. And then you have to go to the disciples and say, what? What happened to these guys? Their lives were absolutely transformed. They go from, Peter denies them three times and they all run and hide. How would you, you, you have, when I'm talking to people, you have to have an explanation. What is the explanation for the fact that these disciples who ran and hid are now willing to die for their faith? And some people who don't really have a lot of information will say to me, well, pastor, what, what do you mean? Don't you, aren't you schooled enough to know that people die for lies? Yes, I am. I've heard of that. I know that happens. It happens all the time. And I say, but have you considered what you've just said? Well, what do you mean? Well, if you're telling me the disciples died for a lie, they had to know it was a lie. Oh. And then they don't say anything anymore. They have to, people die for a lie all the time. They had to know it was a lie and then die for it. Is that reasonable? 
Is that rat? It doesn't make any sense. They couldn't have been deluded. They were already running. They didn't believe. Thomas says, I'm not going to believe unless I see him. I don't believe it. You're out of your minds. And they all die for this faith? Why? Something happened. Jesus really appeared. There's more historical evidence for, for Christ appearing than almost anything in history if you'll look into it. Now, I'm going to give you a great quote. I want you to think about this. Japanese novelist, Shisaku Endu, she writes these words. Listen to these words, please. Take these in and think through them. Here's what she writes. If we don't believe in the resurrection, we will be forced to believe that what did hit the disciples was some other amazing event, different in kind, yet of equal force in its electrifying intensity. you got to come up with something. Because you can't just explain it away that they died for a lie because that just makes you very incoherent. No one dies for a lie and knows it's a lie. Yes, those people who drank the Kool-Aid and those who wore the Nikes and the Hale-Bopp Common and all of the stuff, we've seen those stories, and they're tragic. They're horrible, and that happens. But they didn't know it was a lie. They died believing. They would have had to have known. They knew he was dead. They were de- what they believed in died on the cross. They were finished. How now are they going to pre... How are you going to preach an empty tomb in the city in which the tomb existed? Five-minute walk and you go look yourself. He's not there. How do you preach a resurrection in Jerusalem? Something happened. you got to, you got to come up with something. And Endo is right. If you don't believe in the resurrection, you got to come up with something. Of equal intensity and force to change them. I, I, I got nothing other than a dead man got up. That's all I got. Acts 17, 29 to 31. This is not a blind leap of faith. I love when I get to speak to those who are intellectuals and talk through it and reason with them and look at the historical evidence for this. I love to do that. We don't have to be fearful. We don't have to just say, well, Jesus loves me. This I know for the Bible tells me so. We don't need to do that. We can talk through this. Yes, that's true. We teach that to the little children. But what happens when we send them to the university? You send your children to the university or to the academy. They better have an understanding of why this faith is true. Because they're going to be surrounded by every other kind of religious worldview, from the Hindu to the Buddhist to the secular humanist to the Jew. Why is your religious worldview true? You have to have an answer for the why question. You you can't just say Jesus loves me and the Bible says it. That's not enough. It is true and that is enough for you. That's fine in your heart. But if you want to witness and you want to speak to an unbelieving world, you have to enter into the world they live in. So if you want a seat at their table, you have to speak into the world and and the worldview that they have. You have to go to them. And we are able to do... We gave our seats up years ago. Francis Schaeffer said, we've lost our seat at the table. We just enfolded in on ourselves and we didn't care. We have to get our seat back at the table. We have to speak intellectually into the minds and the hearts of unbelievers and tell them this is not a blind leap of faith. It is not. Everything at the very end is a leap, yes? What can you really prove? Really. Every religious world, there's a leap. But we have the shortest leap. 
Tiny leap. Because it's rooted in historical evidence. Go look. Take a look at the passage. This is important for us to, to close with. Do not think that the divine being is like gold or silver or stone, an image made by human design and skill. In the past, God overlooked such ignorance. Listen to this. Don't miss this. But now he commands all people everywhere to repent. Time is running out. Jesus is on the way back, whether we believe it or not. So God says this is the time to repent. For he has set a day when he will judge the world with justice by the man he has appointed. Who's the man he appointed? He has given proof of this to everyone by raising him from the dead. What's God's stamp of approval on Jesus? Raising him from the dead. A dead man got up and walked. That's what changed Kim and I in 1995. All the arguments for Christianity, all the apologetics. Man, when, when, I, when I grabbed a hold of that, I said, I've got I to go look into this. Did a dead man really get up and walk? No other religious leader has claimed that. So here's the question. The question that you have to ask yourself. Have you looked in to the empty tomb lately? It's worth a look. It's worth a second look. And now's the time of invitation. If you've listened to the gospel being presented this morning with outstretched arms and nail-scarred hands, guess who says come? Christ. Come to Christ. All who are weary and heavy laden in Jesus says, I will give you rest. Rest from what? Rest from your self-salvation project. You can't save yourself. And let me make something clear. Don't come after you get cleaned up. You know why? You can't get clean enough. None of us can. We're too dirty. Come as you are. Just come. Broken, shameful, guilty. Come. Jesus says, why? I've covered it for you. My blood has covered it. I'm the lamb who came and took away your sin. Come to Christ. Come now. It is appointed unto man once to die and then the judgment. Tomorrow it may be too late. Come to Christ. Come this day. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for the power of the gospel. We thank you for the truth that is contained within it. Oh, God, give us the gift of repentance and faith for anyone here today who has never surrendered control to Christ. Give that gift of repentance and faith. Raise them from death to life. And right now, if they've never prayed, let them just pray these words with us, all the believers in this room. And for those by way of the internet, just pray these words. God, I heard the gospel. I know there's something wrong with me, and I know that I can't save myself. So I've heard the truth, that Jesus Christ is who he says he is. He laid his life down, and he raised it up again. And by trusting in Christ, I can have eternal life. I trust in you, Jesus. I give you my heart. I give you my soul. I give you my mind. I give you my strength. I give you all of me. Oh, God, thank you for giving me the gift of eternal life. And then, Father, we'd ask that you'd give him the confident assurance that he who began a good work will one day bring it to completion. And for the rest of us, keep us walking by faith, not by sight, until that day that we walk into glory and we stand before your face and get to see you and know you as you are. We love you, Jesus. It's in your name we pray and all God's people said, amen. Would you all stand as we continue our worship? the Lord is risen today.